The scripture reading this morning comes from Habakkuk 2, 2 through 20. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be So uh, we just read all of Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, but for those of you who are keeping notes, our sermon this morning will really focus on 
uh, verses 2 through 4. Um, sorry, Mickey, for making you read all of that anyways. Um, I know organizationally, I'll, I'll go ahead and, uh, and tip my hand to our three points this morning, too. Uh, the first point, and our longest, is God is the Lord of all things, including the times and time itself. So turn to him at all times in prayer. The second point is live righteously in the face of unrighteousness. And the third point is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, as we examine your holy word, uh, that your spirit uh, will give us uh, eyes to see that which you would have us to see, uh, that we uh, would be able uh, to recognize that these are timeless words from the God who stands above all time, uh, given to us because of your great love for us. Lord, may we respond by being the sort of faithful followers of Christ that you would have us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when we left Habakkuk just a couple of weeks ago, he was standing in a watchtower. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1 waiting to hear the Lord answer his complaint. Um, I'll confess to you that I had a roadmap for what I thought this second sermon in Habakkuk would look like. Uh, But frankly, that was before the events of October 7th, 2023. So a week ago Saturday. Um, The events... Uh, in Israel. Uh, And it it wasn't until probably sometime late, even just this past week, that I would probably be passing up on an important opportunity to look for uh, application and look for um, reflection uh, upon this biblical text. and, and do it in a way that gives us a, a reason to think of, about that horrible bloodshed um, that, that, as you know, for the past week has dominated uh, the nightly news, newspapers, radio broadcasts and podcasts, social media and, and every other place where people who gather uh, to talk and think. So, I, you know, I'm getting, you know, emails from, you know, my work uh, encouraging us to, to think about it and process it in certain ways. And I'm, I'm getting, uh, you know, uh, and, I think, and I think we all are to varying degrees, um, you know, getting uh, emails from, from loved ones, um, maybe they're someone's own personal reflection or they've been forwarded from someone who forwarded them from someone who forwarded them from someone. But I think uh, Habakkuk, 
uh, gives us a unique way to think about this. And so I'd ask you to look with me to verses 2 and 3 of Habakkuk 2. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Mr. Davey was my fourth grade Sunday school teacher. He loved Jesus, and he loved teaching fourth grade boys the Bible. Uh, I've known this to be true for a a long time, uh, but upon reading his obituary this past week, I have confirmation that his time with us as boys in that Sunday school class was, uh, in his eyes and the eyes of his family, one of his major contributions to this world. Uh, in addition to being known locally as uh, the corn man for his amazing Michigan sweet corn that you could buy in front of his house on State Road. And when you were in his Sunday school class, you could go to his house and ride in his enormous John Deere combine, the farm directly behind his his house. Uh, It was an exciting time, and it was made all the more exciting by the fact for the first time in decades, the United States was headed into significant armed conflict, war. And not just any war, war in the Middle East, a war in the land of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, war in the lands of ancient Babylon, a war that was on one side led by a ruthless dictator who sought to gain the support of other Middle East countries by firing upon Israel with scud missiles. So Mr. Davey, like many others, uh, turned on the nightly news with Tom Brokaw and believed that it was the unfolding of what he saw in Old Testament prophecies in the book of Revelation. It made Sunday school really exciting for a fourth grade boy. Um, Now, uh, truth be told, not nearly as exciting as my experiences some, you know, 16 years later when I would live in the same compound that Saddam Hussein uh, was executed in and and would also spend time uh, in the palaces uh, where there were massive statues and, and murals paying homage to him. But, but I would submit to you that I've also learned uh, that excitement uh, can be and often is overrated. Uh, and, and I think that we've all learned that it, it doesn't make much sense to declare Saddam to be the Antichrist, capital T, capital A, the Antichrist, right? I mean, if for no other reason than, you know, the fact that 
he was executed, you know, over a decade ago. And, and a lot of the other stuff in Revelation uh, hasn't come to pass either, right? Um, I say all of this because, first of all, you need to believe me when I say what I said previously. Mr. Davy loved Jesus, and he really wanted to understand the Bible and teach it to others, uh, fourth grade boys uh, and all their squirming notwithstanding. And the fact that he got some things wrong about the end times in no way negates the most important things that were true. He loved Jesus. He loved studying the Bible. He loved sharing those things with others. Uh, we aren't going to look at Habakkuk the same way that Mr. Davy looked at Old Testament prophets, uh, despite the fact, or maybe because of the fact that so many people who post regularly on Facebook today are convinced much like he was in 1991. Uh, at some point, those who are convinced that the world's end is right now, they'll be right, right? Like, if you declare that the world is about to end and you repeat it, you know, regularly, at, at some point, I mean, if you live long enough, you'll be right. Um, and so in a real sense, you know, these first two verses we read in Habakkuk say exactly that. The end will surely come. Uh, but I'm convinced that we need to know more about how to live in the days we have on this earth. More, more than that, we need, to know, we need to know how it is that we ought to live in the days that we have left on this earth. So yes, the end is near. Yes, or, or at least, yes, the end is coming. But we don't need to look at it with this intense, you know, uh, desire to be able to pinpoint, you know, on, a, on a, a timeline that this event falls and then this, and therefore we can predict this, as much as we need to be asking ourselves, how then shall we live during tumultuous, tumultuous times? I think if we are situating ourselves to be good students of the prophets and of scripture as a whole, that this is what we ought to be doing. The fact is, when God spoke to Habakkuk, he foresaw the opportunity to speak to us as well. So, so look at verse 2 with me. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. Or I'm sorry, that's verse 3. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. God doesn't declare how we can predict the exact end 
but he does expect that those who see these words know that the end is coming and that we should be prepared to live in such a way as a result of it. God is the Lord of time itself. He spoke this world into existence and created time in doing so. Uh, He will determine when it is right for this world to cease to exist and for the new heavens and earth to come in its place. So consider this point, our first one. God is the Lord of all things, including the times and time itself. So turn to him at all times in prayer. I know that's a, that's a lot. God is the Lord of all things, including the time and time itself. So turn to him at all times in prayer. You can trust that God is sovereignly ruling over all that transpires, and he will bring things to a conclusion that fits with his perfect vision. It's precisely because of events like the orchestrated slaughter of civilians, including infants, on October 7th, 2023, that Christians should heed Habakkuk's example of complaining to God that he might bring about justice and prevent further atrocities. But remember, too, what we saw in Habakkuk chapter 1 and even what was read earlier this morning from Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk's not a tribal partisan hack. Today, Habakkuk would be charged with the political speak crime of whataboutism. Because he complained, he he levied complaints to God, not just about the slaughter of his own people at the hands of pagan nations, but he also complained to God about the internal the internal grave injustices of those who were supposed to lead in ways that caused others to flourish, but instead cared only for themselves to the detriment of those under their leadership. Now listen, for a variety of reasons, uh, this is not a perfect analog. The the modern state of Israel is, uh, in many respects, more akin to the nation state, any other nation state created in the 20th century, than it is to the theocratic Israel of Habakkuk's day. Okay, but that is not to say, at the same time, that it's made up principally of those who share an ancestry. Uh, the same ancestry as Habakkuk uh, going, going back to Abraham, right? Uh, but it, it should strike us as odd that some people today want to give today's Israel special standing 
when Habakkuk was unwilling to do the same. Then again, prophets have a long history of losing popularity contests, right? How ought we to look at October 7, Hamas, Netanyahu, Palestine, Israel, and citizens of each place? Well, for starters, uh, we should never look at evil and seek to make excuses for it, regardless of who is responsible for it. At the same time, there are complexities in which you and I can have healthy disagreements about how these things are made better, how we can achieve a path forward that lessens bloodshed instead of increases it. We should be united in making our complaints about evil and injustice known to the perfectly good God who stands above time and is bringing things to an end at the appointed time. Christian, our first impulse upon learning of injustices, whether they are on our street or on the West Bank or the Gaza Strip, ought to be to pray to God that his kingdom of peace and justice, love and mercy will reign on earth as it reigns in heaven. Um, I will confess to you readily that I find it easier to vent my frustrations about an unjust world uh, to an audience on social media, a like-minded coworker or friend, and even to my wife uh, who may or may not have incredible skills of tuning out noise. But the same God who Habakkuk turned to wants us to orient ourselves first toward him in prayer when we see evil, whether we experience it firsthand or learn of it from an alert on our cell phones. Perhaps you've heard the expression, thoughts and prayers are not enough. If you have, it's probably come from someone expressing real indignation after yet another school shooting or another tragedy in which, frankly, it's entirely appropriate for a Christian to take to his or her knees and ask God to bring both comfort and justice. Well, I submit to you the question, are prayers enough? Uh, the answer, brothers and sisters, is found further on in answer to Habakkuk's prayer. Verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. We see here a contrast between the wicked and the righteous. The difference between someone who looks at the things he's accumulated in this life 
as proof that he doesn't need to seek anyone or anything other than that which increases his portfolio. And someone who looks to God to make sense of the things that she sees around her. The righteous person is called not just to pray, but to then live by the very faith that drives her to pray. This is our second point. Live righteously in the face of unrighteousness. Live righteously in the face of unrighteousness. Are thoughts and prayers enough? Well, you know, first let's drop the pretense, right? This thoughts, uh, I, th- I think, becomes part of this expression for, for those who are uncomfortable saying that they'll be praying for someone or something. So, so let's just let's drop that part of it. Um, second, let's say unequivocally that prayer remains a non-negotiable essential to the life of faith. Amen? Amen. All right. We can say the righteous trust in God and their trust, that of the righteous, their trust causes them not only to pray, but also to live in faith that God will do what he says he will do. What does it mean for the righteous to live in faith? Uh, I think to understand this, we first have to understand who the righteous are. And the answer to that is, well, uh, the righteous are those who live in faith. And then we must ask, well, how does one live in faith? And the answer to that is, well, one lives in faith by being righteous. Did you catch that? Um, the, the righteous are those who live in faith, and one who lives a life of faith, and one lives a life of faith by being righteous. It might sound confusing, and if it doesn't sound confusing, it should definitely sound at least circular to you, right? But our, our Bibles break through the confusion and circularity by maintaining that neither our righteousness nor our faithful living comes from ourselves, but from outside of us. And and here's a fun thing for the kids. Uh, Did you know that the righteousness that we receive by believing in God and his promises is sometimes called alien righteousness? Uh, Not not because it's a righteousness... Uh, from outer space that comes down in a UFO with a tractor beam and zaps us. Uh, that would, of course, be very cool, um, but it's not why. Right? It's, it's called alien righteousness because it comes from outside of ourselves. An alien life form is a life form that is from outside of our world. An alien righteousness is a righteousness that comes from outside of ourselves. As a part of our salvation, our righteousness is entirely a gift from God so that unlike the prideful, unrighteous person, 
The righteous person lives humbly because he knows his life and his salvation is God's unique gift to him. When you think of how the righteous live by faith, uh, who do you think about? I think of a number of people, but I I think uh, frequently of Martin Luther King Jr. King benchmarked the night January 27th, 1956. As he sat over a cup of coffee at his home in Montgomery, Alabama, as the occasion in which he prayed, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause that we represent is right, but Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And in the midst of saying those words, he felt God saying, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. Sounds a bit like someone who heard from the same God who spoke to Habakkuk, doesn't it? And what impresses me about Martin Luther King Jr. is that for him, this wasn't a mere mental or academic exercise. Reverend King sought to live righteously, though others unjustly imprisoned him, bombed the house his family slept in, beat him, stabbed him. And when none of that was successful in shutting him up or stopping him from marching for truth and justice, they shot him. The righteous live by faith. Martin Luther King's desperate prayer came from someone who knew that it was impossible to stand for righteousness and to live faithfully unless God graciously supplied the means to do so. Whether you've got spiritual heroes who have sought to walk in faith, like Martin Luther King Jr., or like Mr. Davey, the corn man of State Road, know this. Not one man or woman of faith has managed to do so without ever failing multiple times in his or her lifetime. King's failures are are well documented, right? Uh, And as significant as some of those failures may have been, there's no doubting, no discounting the fact that it took incredible faith to continue to seek to turn the other cheek when he was continuously bruised. The righteous live by faith in the face of unrighteousness. The former uh, army chaplain turned attorney in me uh, could, could quickly rattle off 
main points about just war theory and the laws of armed conflict and in current discussions about what is happening in Israel and Palestine, there's no shortage of Christian ethicists talking about these things. I'd like to hear more Christians talk about how we need to pray for lasting peace and what it means to live righteously in the face of evil. When evil comes for us, will we respond like Christians? Or will we respond like people who've carved out exception clauses based on technicalities to seek an eye for an eye and thereby further blinding the entire world? This brings us to Jesus. Uh, my third point is the perfect Sunday school answer, Jesus. I'll tell you, a Christian ethic that never sounds like Jesus isn't really Christian. But in fairness, a sermon that never gets to Jesus probably isn't all that Christian either. So let's look at all of this finally and ultimately through Jesus Christ. He is both the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The Christian hope is not merely to wait for the end to come or to get excited about how we can perhaps read the Bible in such a way that we can ascertain when the end is most probable. The Christian hope is Jesus, that Jesus will return and put all things, including sin and death, under his feet once and for all, and that we will spend eternity with Jesus. Now, you and I can have spiritual heroes. You and I can even seek to live as spiritual heroes for those who come after us. Seems like a good and, and right thing to do. But as we've said, your spiritual heroes have not lived flawlessly, nor will you. Jesus, on the other hand, never ceased to live by faith when he walked on this earth. That matters a lot. His active obedience, his life of complete faith and righteousness becomes credited to us as righteousness when we believe and receive the good news that Jesus lived without sinning, died as a sacrifice for our sins, and was raised back to life so that we can be born again. His righteousness is the alien righteousness that through the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And because it's a righteousness that's not our own, we really can seek to do that which is supernatural to live by the power of God 
in evil times. To trust that God will make all things right and that we can look to him when the world around us is seemingly overrun by those who are committed to their own wicked ways. Jesus provides the perfect example for us on how to live when evil comes. Jesus provides the means for us to be justified by dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus provides resurrection hope when it seems this world appears entirely irredeemable. Pray to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Live like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray again once more this morning um, for those in Israel and those in Palestine. Will you provide real comfort to those who are suffering? Will you bring peace when everyone has reason to believe that in all likelihood there will be only more swords? Lord, will you help us to see how we can live as your disciples in these times to be a source of encouragement and hope, knowing that there is more to life than just endless bloodshed. But you are redeeming a people for yourself. Uh, you are redeeming all things for yourself. Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to have a peace that can only come from you. Lord, help us by your spirit to bring that peace to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.